there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And we are very excited. We have a special guest joining us. Hi, I'm Courtney Smith. I'm the music critic for Refinery29 and the author of a book called Record Collecting for Girls. Right now, I'm most interested in exploring feminism and women's point of view in music. And she has a piece that feels very relevant because we're about a week out from Valentine's Day. And Courtney is writing about what makes a song sexy. Ooh. Courtney, welcome to Switched On Pop. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an essential topic. I can't <laughs> believe we haven't covered it yet. <laughs> so I'm I'm really grateful that you're 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 bringing this to our attention. And obviously, there's an, an urgency as there's some so there's love in the air now. I want to get into this by uh, going through some of your selections of, of some of some of the sexiest songs uh, in popular music history. And uh, I thought we could try and understand what makes these songs tick, why they are so effective. That sounds good. Yeah, I decided to pick a selection of songs from the last 50 years that constituted sexy in each decade, <laughs> because I couldn't think of another way to talk about what sexy would be to get at the heart of what makes a song sexy other than listening to songs. I, I couldn't think of a better approach either. I, I want to just dive right in with, uh, with, with one of your selections. This is Nina Simone, Sugar in My Bowl. What's the matter, daddy? Come on, save my soul. I want some sugar in my bowl. I ain't fooling. I want some sugar. In my bowl. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is not a song about breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely a lot of illusions happening there. A lot of um, double entendres. Courtney, why did this song make it onto your sexy song playlist? Well, I started out thinking about sexiness in music by thinking about everything that came before the 1960s and the way that things were divided mm -hmm. by race records and race charts and how the blues and a lot of black music was sexy in this sort of way. And obviously this is a cover of an old Bessie Smith song and that it was so much more overt and that there were these two different types of music for the black community. It was the, the jukebox and uh, honky tonk kind of music and 
gospel music. And that white music, <laughs> white music and mainstream pop music was very buttoned up and straight. And how once some of our great American songwriters started hearing these songs, they wanted to write those kind of lyrics. And, you know, to some degree of success and some utter failures, but... <laughs> <laughs> But um, that really the heart of sexiness in music comes from the black community. So I wanted to look to someone there. And there really is no one with a more sultry and sexy voice than Nina Simone. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, and I love you bringing in that that history as well. As you point out, this is a song. Uh, I think she recorded this in 1967, but it it it's published originally in 1931 however you have to imagine that that central idea the 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 metaphor of sugar in my bowl must be much older than that as well Mm -hmm. uh so as we're listening to this we're listening to like decades and decades of musical history now we can get into the the sound of the song to try and Mm. explore what what makes this not just lyrically so appealing but but musically so enticing Mm. as well and i think there's a few things going on here Mm. i think one one is is the tempo and the feel of this song which is at just the just the right sort of laid back groove like there there might be uh a, a sexiness sweet spot like not too fast not too slow right in the middle yeah i think there's also something about nina's piano playing like we talk a lot about her voice and recognize the sexiness of it mm. and she's she hits this tempo with a lot of her songs but the way she plays piano is so confident and assured and there's something very sexy about that and mastering an instrument but also just being so confident in the way that you play and playing so strongly mm, i love that i couldn't agree more i'm also captured by obviously the double entendre that we talked about which is you know the early onset of rock and roll and music that was eventually sort of more geared towards young people it's sexuality was often implied not as overt as can be said today in pop music and there's something about using double entendre which is almost like a lyrical lingerie it's like <laughs> it's addressing the thing to imagine what it could be okay cool i like this <laughs> that's absolutely true and i feel like there's something um to be said for the only people carrying this sort of lingerie songwriting forward today <laughs> are beyonce who I think does it knowingly paying mm. tribute to this old time blues music with some oh. of her songs and um, country music, actually. I think about um, people like Thomas Rhett, who has a very sultry voice. And country in general is, you know, so much more conservative that it's hard for them to be overtly mm. sexy. So mm. they are using a lot of these old blues <laughs> songwriting tactics, I think. I love it. All right. So now we can sort of start to establish some more global ideas of what makes a song sexy. And perhaps we're seeing uh, that there's a certain balance between uh, hinting at, at something, but not giving away too much. Right. However, that brings us to the next song uh, that you've selected, which is not quite perhaps as subtle as the Nina Simone track we just listened to. <laughs> let's let's hear a bit of uh, Donna Summer's Love to Love You Baby. Oh. 
smirking. No, I'm blushing. <laughs> wow. So I think we need to talk about the orgasm. I mean, the elephant in the room here. <laughs> what a difference one sexual revolution makes. <laughs> wow. Why does this song uh, ascend into the, the pantheon of, of sexiness for you, Courtney? Well, when I was thinking about the 70s, for the most part, I think about the gigantic rock bands that ruled the 70s. And it's, you know, mm. the Stones and Zeppelin and the Who. And everything about it is so masculine and so dominated mm. by this, the thrusting forward of the guitar and the electric guitar being the main thing. And it becomes, you know, just manly. And then... Disco sweeps in at the end of the decade, and everything about the instrumentation is feminine, and the audience for this music is feminine, and we're at the same time culturally experiencing this revolution for women of feminism taking hold in mass culture, getting more and more equal rights throughout the decade, and owning their own sexuality in a way that hadn't been possible before. And uh, Donna Summer mm -hmm. is not only an amazing and talented vocalist and gifted performer, but she is kind of the apex of the female voice in the decade. So I love the idea of this song coming at the end of the decade and really dominating, flipping on its head what the idea of sex in music sounds like. Mm. Yeah. And once again, I, I, we appreciate your historicizing here. There might also be a connection to Nina Simone. I think once again, the the tempo and the groove here is right in that laid back sweet spot. Not too fast, not too slow, kind of gently propelling you along. Uh, I find there's something very captivating about being in that, in that mode that's very effective and, and very alluring. Now, there's something else going on here too, right? Donna Summer's vocals are incredibly sexy. Overtly so. Well, they just are, they literally are sex. Like that's not even, that kind of <laughs> to me straddles the line between is it sexy or is it just full on sex? Right. Okay. So that's an interesting question. So it's like, again, if, if we show too much, it actually stops being sexy because it's no longer, there's no longer that mystery or something? I think it can unless you're working with someone like Giorgio Moroder who created this track, mm. right? Mm. So the the sounds you're talking about and the, the tempo it's at and even those um, sampled drums and the, the Moog sounds he's using in this song, he's smart enough to create an ambient sound that mirrors the way our bodies move during sex. So the tempo never feels rushed. And while her voice is mm. aggressive mm. and the the mood she's expressing is aggressive, the music is relaxed. So it works together, I think. I love also what you said earlier about the the contrast to the sort of 70s masculine rock that's happening. And if we think about the musical components that are going on here, this is a guitar-oriented song, but the way that the guitar is being played is so different than those big distorted riff rock sort of oriented things that, that people might have been hearing. The, this is sort of, this is funk guitar. It is rhythmic. It is, it's, it's like soft and cradled. Um, but also propelling, it's clean instead of distorted. It, it is so totally different than the style of music mm. that was being played on the airwaves of that era. Exactly. Musically, it's so much less aggressive and arguably more feminine. <laughs> 
Okay, let's keep pressing on through uh, half a century of, of musical sexiness. We move now to the 1980s. And in excesses, need you tonight. I need you tonight. Cause I'm not sleeping. There's something about you, girl. That makes me sweat. Courtney, what catapulted this in excess track to your sexy playlist? Um, I don't know about you guys, but other than Prince in the first half of the decade and George Michael in the second half, the 80s are deeply unsexy to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about this. <laughs> the music's super romantic. Like a lot of the new wave and new romantic mm. stuff from the early part of the decade is more of a, a makeout vibe and like the guy you hold hands with, but maybe you don't go mm. all the way. And then the second half of the decade is like a lot of Paula Abdul and CNC Music Factory, which, you know, not sexy. And then, you know, you've got Madonna sandwiched in there, and that's so overtly sexy that talking about someone's virginity is not a turn on. I don't know. So for me, In Excess is kind of that song that feels so different than what a lot of people were doing. Um, and it's the intimacy of it that really grabs my attention. The intimacy of the lyrics and the way that he sings that sort of harkens back to the crooner style back of the, the 50s mm-hmm. and the 60s. Mm-hmm. And the way that he, in the lyrics, it, that admission of vulnerability. Um, and then the, mm-hmm. again, just like you heard in Giorgio Moroder, those snap drums that just keep, it's a real drummer, it's a real person, but it's so perfect that it could be a machine and it just keeps the beat going mm. very steadily. Yeah, that does seem, <laughs> I, I love this. I mean, first of all, you, I think you're absolutely right. The 80s, deeply unsexy <laughs> decade. Reaganomics, not sexy. <laughs> this track maybe furthers some of the ideas we've been talking about. It's got... Y- you want to settle into a really stable groove when you're setting the mood. Uh, You don't want a lot of maybe extreme rapid changes Mm. and surprises (laughs) and, uh, and sort of jarring musical shifts. You want to really ease into uh, a nice, a nice. Yeah. Verse needs to just flow into post pre-chorus flows into chorus flows back into verse. Nothing. Yeah. No big jumps. Yeah, if it jumps, then um, imagine if you had these songs on an actual makeout playlist while you were trying to have sex to them, <sighs> and then that that moment happens, and it's just like, am I supposed to synchronize my movements with this uh, surprise <laughs> guitar solo? I it's ruining the whole mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could do a whole separate ep- episode, perhaps about the 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 most unsexy possible <laughs> sounds. And and we might actually talk about a few of them later. I feel, I feel like you, we've maybe even identified sort of another global element of sort of continuity of dynamics is extremely important in mm. sexiness. Right, which raises certain questions. You know, can 
for instance, the accordion ever be a sexy <laughs> instrument? Wow, that I've would be a challenging. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we press on now into the 1990s. Let's have a listen to Portishead's Glory Box. I might have to unbutton my uh, <laughs> collar here. Courtney, what sent Portishead into the ranks of the sexiest songs ever? The 90s overall, I feel like, are kind of a dirgy and dirty decade. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you Smells know, like <laughs> not, not smell-wise, but like the way that the sound of music was, it was dirtier on purpose, and that was what we wanted. Mm. Not naughty dirty but like the sound was dirty and this mm. this song with glory box is an allusion to slang for female genitalia and that harkens back to what we heard in nina simone with the illusion and i also love like i love the lyrics to this song and that whole mm. idea of give me a reason to be give me a reason to be i just want to be a woman and you know that that says something without coming right out and saying it. It's not overt. And I think musically, the template that Portis Box are working from is building from what we've heard before. If you mash up Giorgio Moroder and In Excess, there's elements that are in both of those that translate to this song. But in the future, we hear a lot of people working off of Portis, Box, Portis Head's template. Yeah, I love that because as we listen to these next to each other, I I hear things that I wouldn't have expected or, or connections I wouldn't have made. Perhaps an, another uh, sort of universal maxim of musical sexiness is while you want to have this sort of consistent groove throughout, the last three songs we've listened to sort of do have peaks and valleys. The The verse will often be very sparse and and laid back and then it'll sort of crest in the chorus create more tension and then peak and then ease back into the chorus and then do it again so it's got it's it's these these gentle slopes and valleys but it's never boring are you talking about music i don't even know anymore <laughs> well what, what am i trying to say okay <laughs> sorry courtney please the one thing about this song, though, that makes it different than everything else we've heard before is that that dirtiness, and it's sad. Like, it's not fully a song that celebrates sex or even asks for sex. It's so full of longing, and it's a little bit depressing. Mm. Can being depressing yeah. be sexy? <laughs> I say yes, but I mean, it's that's a personal choice. <laughs> right. No, and and who are we to say that? Our sexiness is is has to be your sexiness. It's obviously this is a very subjective thing. And for one person it might be very wholesome and for someone else it might be yeah, a little a little dirty, a little lascivious. I feel like this this asks another question though, which is that are there sexier decades? Because this is also a very 90s song in that it's based off of a sample. And sampling as an art form really sort of takes off in the 90s. So this is based off of an Isaac Hayes sample. 
and uh, which later gets reused on uh, Alessia Cara's here uses the same sample, maybe even looking to uh, to the Porta's head. Mm. But there's something. I mean, the the Isaac Hayes sample in it itself is already a extremely sexy bed of music to use to inspire this track. And I I love though how sort of to to your point, Courtney, it totally recontextualizes what is a song called Ike's Rap into uh, a song celebrating femininity. <laughs> and that brings us back to the funk guitar that we talked about on Love to Love You. Totally. I think maybe even more to the point than is there, are there sexier decades might be, are there sexier genres of music? Ah, uh, yes. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That question takes us to our next track and indeed a new genre. So we can sort of use this as a test case. For the 2000s, let's spin Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire. Courtney, why, perhaps despite the obvious answer in its title, why is Sex on Fire a classic sexy song? Because it's got swagger, to quote Justin Bieber. No, mm. <laughs> the least sexy artist. Um, yeah, I just feel like I had a lot of debates when this song came out with friends. Not debates, but conversations where people would just be like, yes, this song, it just gets you in that place. Like, it gets you in a groove. And it's not necessarily a sexy groove for everyone. Like, I don't think this is a universally sexy song. But there is something about the swagger to it. And 
as far as the lyrics go, this is a song that knows nothing about sex whatsoever. Like nothing he's saying <laughs> makes any sense or has anything to do with sex in any way that is attractive. <laughs> but the guitar parts, like that high pitched lead guitar and the the insistent rhythm of it, and then the way the bass seems kind of buried to me, and the drums, the snare really leads. Something about it is just so confident and sexy. Oh, I love it. First of all, your musicological analysis is so on point. Kudos. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. You know, you you have really opened this song up for me because I would not have thought of this as a sexy song. And now I can't not think of it. I don't have much to add, except I will point out that it also does follow this this trend I've I've been noticing of songs sort of cresting in the chorus and then really coming back down to a very quiet place mm-hmm. for the verse. I really like the moment in this song where it's peaking, it's peaking, it's peaking, and then all of a sudden, sh- it just kind of collapses back into this very s- s- quiet and 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 slow texture that will then build up into another chorus. And again, that sort of, the, those peaks and valleys I find very captivating. I think nonetheless, the, but the drums keep moving through it. So they're like, there's something consistent even when the dynamic is changing. Indeed, correct. So yeah. I, I have to say this, I feel like this song breaks a little bit of our, um, not not too fast, not too slow, just right kind of uh, tempo. This is a fast this song. This is fast, yeah. This is a, a heated song. Right. I think what you said about the way that the the volume and the insistence of the song change and crest and, and wane is the key here to a fast song being sexy. I don't think this is necessarily a song that sets the mood in the way that some of the other songs we'll talk about and have talked about do. I think it's a song that more... Um, mimics the physiology of having sex where you work mm. you work at one tempo and then you switch it up to keep it interesting or keep it going if that's not too graphic but yeah <laughs> no no not at all i mean once again clearly the kings of leon don't know how sex works but they've <laughs> they've gotten lucky here because i think you're right there is variation is key yeah they don't know how to talk about sex but they know how to do it i guess <laughs> That's a that's a large cultural problem that we have. Presumably. <laughs> um, let's move on to the decade in which we currently reside, the 2010s. Our emblematic sexy song is going to be The Weekend Often. Ask me if I do this every day. I said often. That's how many times she wrote the wave. Not so often. Baby, it's down to do it either way. Often, baby, I can make that, make that rain Often, often, often Girl, I do this often Make that pop, pop it Do it how I want it Often, often Girl, I do this often Make that pop, pop it Do it how I want it It's hard to imagine anyone in the 2010s who is more universally considered sexy than The weekend, other than maybe Miguel's yeah. first album. And it's, mm-hmm. to me, again, like with Michael Hutchins in An Excess, it's a lot to do with the delivery and the voice. And even though he sounds like Michael Jackson, and we didn't consider Michael Jackson sexy for a huge part of his career, if you think back to Off the Wall and the early solo albums, he was very sexy. 
and it has to do with the production. That's when he was doing more of a disco-based, mm. funk-based, soul-based production. And The weekend takes those elements and takes a lot of the elements of Portishead, who he's sampled in other works, and uh, makes something out of it that is this, to me, an amalgamation of everything we've found to be sexy in the last 50 years. He takes elements of all of them. So he is truly the evolution of what we as a society have sound to be musically sexy in a lot of ways. He's like a, a perfectly calibrated, sexy music machine. He's, <laughs> he's an unstoppable force. Yeah, I, I agree. This song is, is very effective, as are a lot of his. But it makes me think of something that you mentioned earlier. The, uh, not only, and, 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 and I'm glad you pointed out that he, in fact, samples Portishead. I sense a similar darkness creeping into the edges here uh, that that you that you identified in the Portishead track, and I'm wondering if it's fair to say that maybe over time our musical notions of what's sexy have become a little darker, a little more shadowy and minor key, and and a little less wholesome over time. Is that is that a fair assumption? I think he reflects a time before Me Too and before consent regained mm. a lot of sexiness for a lot of people and became a mm. part of our discourse. I would imagine in the next decade what we think is sexy musically will move away from this because a lot of his themes are really dark lyrically as well as musically. Um and I don't think women find this that sexy anymore, to be honest. <laughs> like, there's a vibe to the music that's very sexy, and that might carry on. But I think thematically, uh, it's questionable. I think it's not insignificant that he also gained his fame through the soundtrack for Fifty Shades of Grey, which um, both deals with issues. It's funny, because Fifty Shades of Grey, of course, has like issues of consent baked into the entire film, which I have absolutely only read synopses of. Um, but at the same time, that Fifty Shades is also about BDSM and that a lot of consent language comes through that community. There is sort of this pivot point that I feel like is happening around the weekend's mu music and Me Too that hopefully we can move on to the other side of more sexually exciting consensual music. Yeah, I think that is such a good point, and you're totally right on. But he, something vocally he does is uh, the intimacy, like the the male intimacy right into your ears of kind of telling you what he wants. And I think once we start seeing that presented a little more fully um, in terms of what mm -hmm. women want instead of just what a man wants, that's going to be a part of the evolution. But that's also been part of the appeal of his songs, I think. It makes you feel like he's singing just to you. It, it, so. it totally does. And, and what you're describing makes me think that we may be about to hear something I can't quite imagine, but like the next generation of sexy songs. Like what is the, the paradigmatic musical sexiness of of the 2020s going to sound like I don't mm. know for sure but now I'm kind of excited to find out. Yeah, I've been listening and trying to figure out what it is and I think I would imagine based on what's popular like Maggie Rogers and a lot of the Swedish pop that has been getting more and Norwegian pop that's been getting more and more popular that it's going to be hardcore 
pop production with naturalistic elements and that puts more of a emphasis on women, I hope. <laughs> no doubt. And it makes me think too about how probably non-normative sexiness will continue to rise. We've focused, for instance, on our show on on tracks like Troy Savant's My, 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 which is very uh, careful not to really assign any clear gender markings and sort of exists in this almost like pansexual utopia. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that a lot. I've found a lot of female singers, women singers, do that and have started exploring bisexuality, pansexuality in their lyrics. And a lot of men haven't. I'm really excited for people like Sam Smith to step up to the plate on that because hmm. he has this sad, sexy voice and a big platform. He should explore it. Hint, hint. <laughs> right on. This has been so fun. I need to take a quick break, uh, take a cold bath. <laughs> Courtney Smith, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. I love this. You can find more of Courtney's work at Refinery29, and we'll be posting a link to this particular article uh, in our show notes. Catch you on the other side. Switched on Pop is produced by me, Charlie Harding, and my co-host, Nate Sloan. Mixing and editing by Brandon McFarland, designed by Luke Harris, and community management by Sarah Terry. Thanks again to Courtney Smith from Refinery29. We'll post a link to her piece in our show notes. You can find more episodes of Switched on Pop at switchedonpop.com. And we really like to talk to you on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Switched on Pop. We take your show ideas super seriously, and they often turn into episodes. So yeah, definitely catch us there. We're going to be back again in another two weeks. And until then, thanks for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.